Hurricane scams. Why is the CIA interested in resurrection? Five years without a shower. <laughs> and social media trolls are at it again. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. I got that. Got lots more coming up. It's Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. I know. We're live across Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and, of course, Rumble.com, our main channel over there on Rumble.com. If you have yet to get yourself an account there, it's free, totally free, and uh, you can sign up, all kinds of cool stuff on Rumble. It is a censorship-free platform. You will not get censored as long as, you know, what you talk about is legal. Whatever your opinion might be, good, bad, or indifferent, it's your opinion, and you have a right to it. And Rumble's not going to interfere with that, which is why we love Rumble. So anyway, if you're over there or get there, please sign up for a free account. Check out all the videos and check out our show. And be sure you hit that subscribe button. It's free also. Absolutely free. It helps us out a lot. And of course, a podcast. Our audio portion of the show, portion of the show is a uh, podcast. We're out there on all the podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple, iTunes, uh, Geo7. Radio Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, tune, Tuned In, and Geo7 in India, too. Hello to our, uh, our Indian audience. We have a, a big audience over there in India. So anyway, welcome in. Welcome to the show. It is a Monday. It is raining outside. It is raining so bad right now. It was off and on all day, and then tonight it started to look really dark. Uh, I mean, not just because it's nighttime, but because it's storming. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was bad. Uh, all right. With the good, with the bad, it's Miko update time. Miko update. <laughs> Miko update. Yeah, yes. Uh, she's doing great. Uh, she had a couple of nice walks today. She, I thought she was getting fat. She looks fat. But... We weighed her last night, and she's still 12.1 kilos, so she ain't that fat. And take a look at this. Oh, this is actually from a year ago. It popped up on one of my Here's a Memory of Yours on Facebook, so I reposted it. Yeah, the little lady getting a bath. One year ago, she <laughs> she's put on weight, as I said. But, uh, yeah, I guess she's changed a little bit. She's matured a little bit. Uh, bath time is not her favorite time of all. But, uh, yeah, she puts up with it. We just kind of strip off all our clothes and we jump in the shower and lather her up and get her all wet and then get her dried off. She's not really big on the, on the blow dryer either. But, uh, again, she puts up with it. And it's funny because when she's had enough, you see the blow dryer there in the picture? So start, start taking your paw and kind of pushing it away. Like, okay, Dad, that's enough. Don't want any more. <laughs> but when she's done with all that, she's still the prettiest girl on the planet. So there you go. Uh, Miko update and uh, some uh, some pictures from, uh, from a, a year ago. Yeah, our Miko update is brought to you, of course, by the good folks at BarkBox. BarkBox is a place to get treats and toys for your dogs that you will absolutely love. Your dog, more importantly, will love them. And if you use our special link, you will get 
a, a gift and or you can claim an offer which is a one free month when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. You can just sign up for one month if you want, but you can sign up for six or for 12 months. And of course, the longer you sign up for, then the uh, less each month it is. You know, you buy more, it costs less. Duh, that's the way it works. Anyway, you get a box full of a theme. Every month is a different theme. And it will come once a month. Starts right away as soon as you uh, sign up and pay the fees. And uh, by the way, this is for the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada only. I'm sorry, all my listeners and viewers in other parts of the world. Unless you've got one of those forward shipping services, which you could sign up for. Uh, they don't ship internationally yet, but they tell me they're working on it. So uh, in the U.S., U.S. territories and uh, Canada, you can check out BarkBox.com slash Miko. I mean, you can check it out no matter where on the planet you are. You want to go over and look. Uh, and trust me, these guys are great. The toys, you get a few toys every month. You get a couple of bags of doggy treats that are all natural and good for you. And uh, a, a chew, a dog chew. So it is fantastic. They do a great job over there, reasonably priced, and trust that your dog will absolutely love it. You can sign up for one month, like I said, six months, 12 months if you want. And uh, if you want a free month, just use our URL. The link is in our show notes tonight. It's bar easy to remember. BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. That's our little girl. And that's her. All right, before we get into our, our main stuff tonight, I, I saw this and I, got, I had to share it because I have a personal story. It's just a short little weirdo personal story, but it's it's very cool. Uh, who shared? It was a public post. Alvin Tan shared this. Uh, I don't know. For the older audience, you will know Joan Baez. Um, for anybody under 30, 35, maybe not unless you're a big fan of folk music. Joan Baez was an amazing, is an amazing artist. Uh, but you've never heard of Joan Baez's dad. Well, now you have. You probably know Joan Baez. She was a big 60s folk singer and activist. Her father, Albert Baez, was a Mexican-American physicist who co-invented the X-ray reflection microscope, which is still being used today. This guy co-invented it developed optics for a telescope, and was the first director of the science education program for UNESCO. A very famous guy, and this is Joan Baez's dad. He turned down jobs in the defense industry, devoting his career to education and humanitarian work. Cool. I did not know this, and that is part of Hispanic Heritage Month. And here's my little quick story. I met Joan Baez once. It was the thrill of a lifetime. I'm such a fan. Uh, Phoebe Snow, if you know that artist, Phoebe Snow, she was doing a concert at the Warner Theater in Torrington, my hometown, adopted hometown, sort of, in Torrington, Connecticut. And Joan Baez was a dear friend of Phoebe Snow. I assume still is. And Joan was uh, in the backstage area where I was, because I was with the radio station at the time and we were part of the promotion and all. And so I actually had a few minutes to spend and meet and say hello and shake the hand of Joan Baez, which, uh, you know, it's one of those little 
oh boy moments uh, that that was very very cool and then when i saw this come up about her dad i thought wow that's neat but yes i actually got the chance to uh to meet joan baez in a former lifetime about a billion years ago <laughs> all right you know this happens all the time it never fails and it never fails to piss me off it happens here in Malaysia too but this in particular is about a story that is currently going on in Florida with the hurricane and the aftermath of the hurricane I'm sure by now you've seen it. It's been all over social media. One of the problems after a natural disaster is looting. Looting, if you don't know, is where, you know, places are broken into. And if they're, you know, been affected by the storm, they have no security, they have no power. And people will just break in to homes, businesses, steal whatever they can carry, and off they go. It happens all the time. It's happened a lot lately in, like, some of the BLM riots from those morons, things like that. Anyway, uh, Ron DeSantis, the amazing governor of Florida, had come out just a day or two ago and said, uh, don't be so stupid as to be involved in looting because they're a constitutional carry state in Florida and you don't know what might be behind the door of that house or business you're thinking about breaking into and looting. Go, Ron. Anyway... I see this story, the same damn thing happens here in Malaysia because we have problems. In fact, we're just headed into a monsoon season, which means heavy rain and lots of flooding. Happens all the time, happens every year. We keep continuing to destroy the jungle, to cut down forests. Deforestation is an enormous problem. And yet we all sit around with our thumbs collectively up our butts and go, gee, I wonder why there's so much flooding and all the mud running out of the jungle. You freaking morons. Haven't figured it out yet, have you? One day, when it affects your house directly, maybe you'll learn. And maybe you'll do something about it. Sadly, today ain't that day. This week ain't that week. This month ain't that month. And likely the next year or two ain't that year or two. But it's going to continue until you stop. All right. On to the topic that we have the link to in our show notes today. This is, uh, wow, FBI is warning Florida residents of fraud schemes as the death toll sadly continues to rise from Hurricane Ian. The FBI issued a warning to Florida residents and people seeking to make donations to support Hurricane Ian victims. So this not only applies to you if you're in Florida, but wherever on the planet you are, if you're thinking about donating uh, money to help the victims of Hurricane Ian, potential fraud schemes that frequently follow hurricanes and other natural disasters Watch out for scammers trying to use a natural disaster like Hurricane Ian to steal your money, your personal information, or both. Uh, the FBI's Tampa office wrote in a recent warning. Apparently, they actually spent a couple of seconds to uh, put out some sort of public service when they weren't busy, you know, working for the Democratic Party. The Bureau said recommending their would-be donors use established charities or trusted groups and be aware of Groups with copycat names. Uh, be aware of news organizations soliciting donations and be cautious when a charity or a group asks for cash only. Donating via a check or a credit card is 
always preferable. You give cash and it is gone. Uh, they said, uh, adding that groups that are asking for donations via cash, gift card, virtual currency, or wire transfer are probably a scam. The link to this article is in our show notes. It's from the Epic Times. If you want to read the whole thing, check out more about it. You can do that. Uh, just pop on down to our show notes and you can find out more about uh, about how to avoid getting scammed when you are trying to do the right thing. You know, how low of a human being do you have to be? How scum of the earth do you have to be to scam people trying to help out in a situation like the aftermath of Hurricane Ian? It is, you know... It's not like a, oh, aren't I the great guy pat on the back thing, but I could not even conceive of or dream of doing something so evil as that. Which is, I guess, why I find it so unbelievable that there are people who are that evil. I, I just, there's no other word for it. It's just evil. Unbelievable. All right, our second top headline tonight from The Intercept. Mm. <laughs> this is weird. This is really weird. The CIA, that's the Central Intelligence Agency in America, they have just invested in woolly mammoth research technology. Huh? I'm not kidding. Link to the article from The Intercept is in our, uh, our show notes. While skeptics doubt the prospects for de-extinction, the CIA's venture capital firm deems powerful genetic manipulation tools worth the money. As, uh, well, they claim the rapidly advancing climate emergency, which we all know is just a crock of crap, uh, but um, Dallas-based biotech company Colossal Biosciences has a vision to see the woolly mammoth thunder across the tundra once again. Can you imagine woolly mammoths alive on the earth today? Anyway, founders George Church and Ben Lamb have already racked up an impressive list of high-profile funders and investors, including Peter Thiel, Tony Robbins, Paris Hilton... Winklevoss Capital and, check this out, according to their public portfolio, its venture capital arm released this month, the CIA. The CIA! Not kidding. Colossal says it hopes to use advanced genetic sequencing to resurrect two extinct mammals, not just the giant Ice Age woolly mammoth, but also a mid-sized marsupial known as the thylacine, or the Tasmanian tiger. That died out less than 100 years ago. Uh, on the website, the company vows combining the science of genetics with the business of discovery, we endeavor to jumpstart nature's ancestral heartbeat. InQtel, new investor, registered as a nonprofit venture capital firm that is funded by the Central Intelligence Agency. 
On its surface, the group funds technology startups with the potential to safeguard national security. What that has to do with resurrecting woolly mammoths? Or resurrecting anything? I don't know. But it's the CIA. Mm. They've lately displayed an increasing interest in biotechnology and particularly DNA sequencing. This is a weird article, my friends. I cannot encourage you enough to check out the link in our show notes tonight and read the whole thing. It's weird. Why is the CIA interested, looking into, backing, funding research to wake up the woolly mammoth? It's just weird. These things have not... Can you imagine the smell? What a woolly mammoth would smell like? That, my friends, is a vain attempt at a segue. Because our next story, the link is in our show notes, is from BigThink.com. And it's equally weird. Not scary like the CIA, but weird. A physician, a doctor, did not shower... For five years. And here's what he found out. This is from freethink.com. The link's in our show notes. And uh, let me see. Can I? No, okay. Uh, uh, James Hamblin made a splash when he announced that he hadn't showered or used even very much soap in the last five years. He's a physician. Yale public health lecturer and staff writer at The Atlantic mm, experimented on himself as research for his latest book, Clean, The New Science of Skin. Hygiene rituals are as old as civilization goes back. Muslims, Hindus uh, create elaborate cleaning rituals. European Christians thought bathing increased your chances of falling ill thanks to miasma theory. For centuries, changing your linen shirt supposedly bestowed cleanliness. Not soap and water, just changing your shirt. Your body can be as stinky, smelly, dirty, but if you change your shirt, you're good to go. That was the thinking back then. Many Christians during this era only had one bath in their entire lives. And that was a baptism. It's easy to shake your head in disbelief, but Hamblin points out that many current hygiene and skincare rituals have moved us too far in the opposite direction. It's kind of like what I was talking about the other day with the woman who was getting blasted for letting her kid play in the dirt, in fact, eat dirt. And what she's doing is actually encouraging the kid's immune system to do what it does Well, this guy is saying the same thing. You want to wash more than once a year, but these expensive rituals, this constant scrubbing of our skin, this using that damned sanitizer that they have everywhere these days ever since that COVID crap. Most modern hygiene and skin care is also a major time suck. If you spend a half an hour showering and applying products every day, you will wind up devoting two years to showering-related activities over the course of a hundred-year-long life. 
In his previous book, which was called If Our Bodies Could Talk, he investigated numerous body myths. In the book Clean, his new book, he focuses on our largest organ, which is, of course, our skin. Uh, It's an environment unto itself, and there are lessons in the book ranging from hygiene practices to capitalistic greed. An obsession with soap might be creating allergies. Your skin, like it or not, is crawling with mites. Yes, and that includes your face. A half a millimeter in length, these demon arachnids, which are called demodex, are colorless, boast four pairs of legs, and they use those to burrow into the skin on your face. Yes, all of our faces, mine right now, yours right now. They're originally discovered in 1841, but it wasn't until 2014 that researchers in North Carolina used DNA sequencing to understand their impact. Although you might recoil at the suggestion, it turns out these critters potentially act as natural exfoliants. <laughs> Housing too many of these mites results in skin disease. Your face is, however, their home, like it or not, and there is nothing, nothing you can do about it. If not for them, though, you might be even more susceptible to breakouts and infections. I'm telling you, this article is fantastic. You must check it out. Go to the link in our show notes. It's down below. It's from uh, freethink.com. And you will be amazed at, uh, (laughs) at the things that they talk about and the suggestions he makes. It is possible very not only possible, but highly likely to get too much of a good thing. Mm. Hey, check this out. This is a cool one. I saw this. It's from ancientorigins.net. I've done a similar story to this before, but not this one. Take a look at that. That's a date palm. It's not any date palm. For thousands of years, this was a staple crop. In the kingdom of Judea, it was a source of food, shelter, medicine, shade. But the plant went extinct because waves of conquest and intentional distinction, uh, destruction. Now, 2,000 years, speaking of woolly mammoths resurrecting, the Judean date palm is back, and the sweet ancient fruit has been harvested Once again, check this out. Thick forests of these ancient date palms towering up to 80 feet, which is like 24, 25 meters, spreading seven miles, covered the Jordan River Valley from the Sea of Galilee to the north shores of the Dead Sea in the south. Um, So valued was this tree. It became recognized as a symbol of good fortune in Judea. It's uh, chronicled in the Bible, the Quran, and uh, ancient literature for its diverse powers. It has allegedly served both as an aphrodisiac and a contraceptive. Wow, real all-in-one kind of thing. Anyway, they discovered seeds from this date palm. There you go. These are the seeds they discovered in a 
archaeological dig. Buried beneath the rubble, they unearthed a small stockpile of seeds shown in a clay jar which dated back some 2,000 years. Very carefully, scientists germinated the seeds and brought back the Judean date palm. How cool is that? And today it exists. It is there. Absolutely amazing. Take a look at that. In 2011, the plant produced its first flowers. Today, the living archaeological treasure continues to grow and thrive. Uh, the date palm had grown into a tree. They used genetic testing to confirm it was indeed male and uh, incapable of producing fruit, which is kind of sad. Uh, so, if they get lucky, they've got uh, six more have sprouted. Hopefully, they'll wind up with a female date palm and they can get some fruit out of it all. Why not? Wow. That is, I love stories like this. I'm not so sure I'd be that happy about resurrecting a woolly mammoth, but it's a plant, you know? It's a plant. It's not like it's going to, you know. <laughs> all I can keep thinking of is, you know, Jurassic Park. That would be my fear. With the woolly mammoth, not with the date palm, with the woolly mammoth. Yeah, you start with the woolly mammoth, the next thing you know, you got velociraptors hanging out. A couple of T-Rexes wandering around the planet. Probably not a really good idea. All right, speaking of storing your nuts. <laughs> did I just say that? <sighs> this is so funny. Links in our show notes. It's just a, a picture. If you're listening on the uh, podcast, sorry, check out the link in our show notes if you want to see the picture. It's cool. Um, this person posted this, and uh, it's only initials, NMS, said, So, I went on vacation for a week, and a squirrel decided to find out how many black walnuts they could fit in my engine compartment. Well, the answer... 558. <laughs> Look at that. This is what they found when they opened the hood of their car. Unbelievable. The squirrel was gently shooed out of the car and got to keep most of the walnuts. I still felt terrible for undoing all their hard work. <laughs> Look at that. That is abs look at look at how many of them. What is it? Five hundred and fifty-eight walnuts. She wound up pulling out of her uh, her engine compartment. <laughs> wow. All right, last story, and then we're going to move on to a brand new classic book. And I think you're going to love this one. I loved it. Uh, I remember watching the movie from Disney when I was a very very young kid. At the Skyview Drive-In. Yeah, Drive-In Movie Theater in uh, Torrington, Connecticut. Anyway, that book is coming up. Wait till you hear. It's going to be cool. Get the kids out, by the way, if it's, uh, you know, not too late. Because it's, it's great for adults, of course. But the kids will love it, too. All right. One more story, then we've got to move on to our book. 
this is once again it's these idiots internet trolls the people who just want to bitch about everything it doesn't matter whatever you do you say black they say white you say white they say black you say it's good they say it's bad it doesn't matter what it is their entire life is spent sitting around eating hot pockets in mommy's basement on the internet and trolling people that's all they do they don't get real jobs and that's it so this story is beyond belief. Where are we? Here we go. A man saves a girl who is dangling from an escalator. Look at that. This is way up in the, this is the top of the escalator. She is hanging on for dear life. Remember this handrail here. Let me get my mouse back. This handrail is moving. So this guy reaches over, grabs her by the arm, pulls her up, grabs her by the leg and continues to help to, to try and rescue the girl. He gets accused of inappropriately touching her. People, just knock it the hell off. Seriously. This man just saved this little girl's life. When you're in that kind of a situation, you grab whatever body part you can grab, wherever you can grab it, to save a life. He grabs her by the arm, he reaches down to help support, and yes, he's grabbing what looks like her butt. But that's a really good spot that he could reach, that he could grab and pick her up and save her. And yet, these freaking trolls who will find anything to complain about accuse her of inappropriately touching her. Uh, this guy's in China. He found uh, the hard way. He was accused of touching a girl inappropriately, despite saving her from almost, it says near death, but almost certain death, uh, after she was found hanging onto an escalator in the Shanghai Mall. According to 8 World News, the incident took place at a wholesale mall in Jiading District in Shanghai. In the beginning of the clip, there's a video clip of this. A young girl seen dangling off an escalator, clinging onto the handrail for dear life. Uh, look at that. Wow. When she reached the top, the girl found herself trapped between the gap and the escalator and a glass panel on the second story. Thankfully, Mr. Ding and his younger brother heard the child's cries, ran over to help. He was initially not able to lift the girl up. This is not a small little girl. This, you know, looks like maybe a seven, eight-year-old. They were then seen grabbing the, uh, they uh, came along to help. He suspected the girl could have slipped and fallen. He was then seen grabbing the girl and pulling her to safety. And thanks to them, the girl only sustained uh, superficial injuries. Look at that. There you go as he and his brother pull her to safety. It doesn't simply end there, though. Although you'd think the man was being a, a hero, which he was, uh, online reactions from these moron freaking idiots. After the video surfaced, netizens allegedly began criticizing uh, Mr. Ding for being slow and pacing his, uh, placing his hand inappropriately on the girl while pulling her up. He admitted that his hand had touched the girl, uh, but in the spur of the moment, obviously, like I said, when you're reaching for someone to save them, you're not thinking, oh, maybe I can grab some. 
You grab what's available to help you to save a life, you idiots. Anyway, the link to this, if you want to read the whole thing, is in our show notes. There is a video. I don't want to play it because I just, yeah, anyway. You got to check it out. And if you are one of those people, first of all, stop listening to my show. I don't want you in my audience. If you're one of those idiot trollers who has to just say the opposite of everything just to kind of cause trouble and maybe get your name in the papers, ooh, look at me, aren't I important? No, you're not. Then piss off. Go away. I don't want you in my audience. I don't need you. I'm serious. Go away. Go. Leave. All right. Time to change the pace. It's time for a new book. We finished up Willie and the Warthog on our last stream. And thank you for those of you who wrote and messaged and said they enjoyed it. I appreciate that. And now we're going to start a brand new one, and it's another classic. It is... I cannot wait. Bambi. Yeah. Bambi. I so remember the Disney film. I laughed and I cried and, you know, the story of Bambi, if you're familiar with it. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. And we're going to read Bambi uh, all the way through until we get to the end. We'll do it chapter or part of a chapter at a time and uh, until we get done. Uh, this is the original, by the way. This is the... Uh, Felix Stalton was the original author of Bambi. This translation is by David Wiley. It's an English translation of the original. It was written in German in the first edition back in 1923. How about that? So here is the story of Bambi. Chapter 1. It was in a space in a thicket that he came into the world. In one of those little hidden places in the wood which seems to be open on every side, but which, in fact, are completely surrounded by foliage. That's why there's so little room there, but just enough for him and his mother. He stood up. He staggered on his thin legs as he wondered what was happening, looked out with eyes which were dull, wondered what was happening, but saw nothing dropped his head, shuddered severely, and was quite numb. "'What a beautiful child!' declared the magpie. She'd rushed to the place, drawn by the breathy groans she heard forced from Bambi's mother by her pain. Now the magpie sat on a branch nearby. "'What a beautiful child!' she exclaimed again. No one answered her, and she continued to speak excitingly. And he can already stand up and walk. That's amazing. It's so interesting. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Well, I'm still young, of course. It's only a year since I left the nest, but I'd expect, you know, that I think it's wonderful, a child like this. He's only been born a second, and he can already stand. I think it's very noble of him. And most of all, I find that everything done by you, dear, is very... Very noble. Can he already run, too? Of course, answered Bambi's mother gently. But you'll have to excuse me. I'm not really in a good condition to chat to you. There's a lot I've got to do. And besides, I'm feeling quite tired. Oh, 
Oh, uh, don't let me disturb you, said the magpie. I'm a bit of a rush today, too, uh, but it's not every day you see something like this. I, I ask you, think of how awkward it is for us in these things and how much hard work. Children just can't do anything when they first hatch from the egg. They just lie there in the nest quite helpless. Need to be looked after. They're always needing to be looked after, I tell you. I'm sure you've got no idea what it's like. It's so much hard work just to keep them fed and keep them protected. So worrying. I ask you, just think how strenuous it all is. Getting food for the children, having to watch over them at the same time as nothing else happens to them. Uh, if, if you're not there, they can do nothing for themselves. Am I not right? And you have to wait so long before they start to move. So long before they get their first feathers and start to look a bit mm, decent. Please forgive me. Bambi's mother said. I wasn't really listening. The magpie flew away. Stupid person, she thought to herself. Noble, but stupid. Bambi's mother had barely noticed and continued vigorously washing her newborn. She washed it with her tongue and so performed several tasks at once. Care for his body, a warming massage, and a display of her affection. The little one staggered a little under the weight of the stroking and pushing that gently touched him all over, but remained still. His red coat, coat which was still a little unkempt, had a sprinkling of white on it. His face, that of a child, still looked uncomprehending, almost as if he were in a deep sleep. All around them grew hazel bushes, dogwoods, blackthorn bushes, and young elder trees. Lofty maples, beech trees, and oaks created a green roof over the thicket, and from the firm dark brown ground there sprouted ferns, wild peas, and sage. Down close to the ground were the leaves, close together of violets, which were already in bloom and the leaves of strawberries, which were just beginning to bloom. The night, light of the morning sun pierced its way through the thicket foliage like a web of gold. The whole forest was alive with the sounds of countless voices which pierced through the trees with an air of gay excitement. The golden oriole performed a ceaseless song of joy. The doves never stopped cooing. The blackbirds whistled, the finches flapped their wings, the tits chirped. The quarrelsome screech of the jay penetrated all through this, and the joking laughter of the blue magpie, the bursting metallic cook-cook of the pheasants. From time to time, the harsh, short celebrations of a woodpecker would pierce through all the other voices. The shrill, bright call of a falcon penetrate across the forest canopy, and the choir of crows never stopped ringing out their raucous call. The little one understood not a one of these many songs and calls, not a word of their conversations. He was still too young to listen to them. He also paid no attention to any of the many smells that the forest breathed. He heard only the gentle rustling that ran over his coat as it would washed and warmed and kissed, and he smelt only the body of his mother close by. 
He nuzzled close to his body with the lovely smell, and hungrily he searched around it and found the source of life. And as he drank, his mother continued to pet him. Bambi, she whispered. Every few moments she would lift her head, listen, draw in the wind. And then she kissed her child again, reassured and happy. Bambi, she repeated. My little Bambi. Chapter 2 Now, in the early summer, the trees stood still under the blue sky. They held their arms out wide and received the power of the sun as it streamed down upon them. The bushes in the thicket were coming into bloom with stars of white or red or yellow on many of them. The buds of fruit were beginning to be seen again, countless. Many of them, sitting on the fine tips of the branches, tender and firm and resolute, they looked like little clenched fists. The colorful stars of many different flowers came up out of the ground so that the earth in the subdued light of the forest was a spray of silent but vigorous and gay colors. Everywhere there was the smell of fresh foliage, flowers, the soil, and the green wood. When morning broke and the sun went down, the whole wood was alive with a thousand voices, and all day, from morning to evening, the bees sang, the wasps buzzed, and the bumblebees buzzed even louder through the fragrant stillness. This is what the days were like when Bambi experienced his earliest childhood. He followed his mother onto a narrow strip that led between the bushes. It was so pleasant to walk here. The dense foliage stroked his sides gently and bent slightly to the side. Everywhere you looked, the path seemed to be blocked and locked, but it was possible to go forward in the greatest comfort. There were roots like this in the woods. They formed a network going all throughout the forest. Bambi's mother knew them all, and whenever she stood in front of what seemed to him like an impenetrable green wall, she would immediately seek out the place where the path began. Bambi asked her questions. He was very fond of asking his mother questions. For him, it was the nicest thing in the world to keep asking her questions and to listen to whatever answer she gave. Bambi was not at all surprised that he always thought of one question after another to ask her. It seemed entirely natural to him. It was such a delight. It was also a delight to wait, curious, until the answer came. And whatever the answer was... He was always satisfied with it. There were times, of course, when he didn't understand the answer he was given, but that was nice, too, because he could always ask more questions whenever he wanted to. Sometimes he stopped asking questions, and that was nice, too, because then he was busy trying to understand what he'd been told and would work it out on his own. He often felt certain his mother had not given him a complete answer, that she deliberately avoided saying everything she knew. And that was also very nice, as it left behind a kind of curiosity still in him. 
a feeling something mysterious and pleasing that ran through him, with an expectation that made him uneasy but cheerful. And now he asked, Who owns this path, Mother? His mother answered, We do. Bambi continued, You and me? Yes. Both of us? Yes. Just you and me? No, said his mother. We deer own it. What's a deer? asked Bambi with a laugh. His mother looked at him and laughed too. You're a deer, and I'm a deer. That's what deer are. Don't you understand now? Bambi jumped up in the air with laughter. Yes, I understand. I'm a little deer, and you're a big deer. That's right, isn't it? His mother nodded. There, you see now? Bambi became serious again. Are we the only ones, or are there other deer? Certainly, said his mother. There are lots of them. Where are they? Bambi exclaimed. They're here. They're all around us. But I can't see them. You'll see them soon enough. When? Bambi's curiosity was so strong that he stopped walking. Soon, his mother calmly walked on. Bambi followed her. He said nothing, for he was trying to work out what she could have meant by soon. He reached the conclusion that soon was certainly not the same as very soon, but he wasn't able to decide if it was that this soon would stop being soon and start to be a long time yet. Suddenly he asked, Who was it who made this path? We did, his mother replied. Bambi was astonished. We did? You and me? His mother said, Well, yes, we deer made it. What deer? Bambi asked. All of us, was his mother's curt reply. Well, they walked on. Bambi'd had enough of it and wanted to jump off away from the path, but he was a good child and stayed with his mother. Ahead of them, there was a rustling noise coming from somewhere close to the ground. There was something moving vigorously, something concealed under the ferns and wild lettuce. A little voice, as thin as a thread, let out a pitiful whistle, and then it was quiet. Only the leaves and blades of grass quivered to show where it was that something had happened. A polecat had caught a mouse. Then he dashed past them, crouching down to one side, and set to on his meal. What was that? asked Bambi excitedly. Nothing, his mother reassured him. But, Bambi stuttered, but, but, but I saw it. Well, yes, his mother said, but don't be frightened. A polecat killed a mouse. But Bambi was terribly frightened. His heart was squeezed with a great but unfamiliar horror. It was a long time before he could speak again. And then he asked, why did he kill the mouse? Because, his mother hesitated. Then she said, let's go a bit faster, shall we? As if she'd suddenly thought of something else and forgotten about the question. She began to trot, and Bambi hopped along after her. 
A long pause went by. They'd stopped walking so fast. Finally, Bambi, feeling rather anxious, asked, Will we ever kill a mouse? No, his mother answered. Never? asked Bambi. No, never, came her reply. Why not? asked Bambi with some relief. Because we never kill anything, his mother told him simply. Bambi became cheerful again. There was a young ash tree next to their path from which a loud screeching could be heard. His mother paid no attention to it, carried on walking, but Bambi was curious and stopped. High in the tree's branches were two jays squabbling over a meal they'd just plundered. Get out of it, you lout! Don't get me excited, you fool, the other answered. I'm not afraid of you. Go and get your own nest, you thief, yelled the first. I'll punch your face in. He was beside himself. You're just vile, he snapped, just vile. The other bird had noticed Bambi, flapped a few twigs down and snarled, What are you looking at, brat? Get lost. Bambi felt intimidated and jumped away from them. Once he'd reached his mother, he continued walking along the path beside her, obedient and startled. He thought she hadn't noticed he'd stayed behind. After a while, he asked her, Mother, what does vile mean? His mother said, I don't know. Bambi thought about it. Then he began again. Mother, why were those two being so nasty to each other? His mother answered, They were quarreling about getting the food. Bambi asked, Will we ever quarrel about food like that? No, his mother said. Why not? Bambi asked. His mother replied, There is plenty of food for all of us. There was something else Bambi wanted to know. Mother, what is it? Will we ever be nasty to each other, too? <laughs> no, my child, we don't do that sort of thing. They carried on walking. Suddenly they saw light ahead of them, a very bright light. The green confusion of bushes and shrubs came to an end. Their path was at its end. Just a few steps further, and they came out into the brightly lit free space that opened up ahead of them. Bambi wanted to jump forward, but his mother just stood where she was. What's that? he exclaimed, impatient and quite enchanted. The meadow, his mother answered. What's that, the, the meadow? Bambi insisted. His mother gave him a curt reply. You'll see that for yourself soon enough. She'd become serious and attentive. She stood there without moving, her head held up high, listening intently, testing the wind with deep breaths, and she looked almost severe. Yes, everything's all right, she said finally. We can go on out there. Bambi was about to jump ahead, but... She blocked his way. No, you wait until I call you. Bambi did as he was told and immediately stood still. Well done, Bambi, his mother praised him. Now listen carefully to what I say. Bambi listened carefully as his mother spoke and saw how agitated she was. He became very tense himself. 
Going out into the meadow is not as simple as it seems, his mother continued. It's difficult, and it's dangerous. Don't ask me why. You'll learn that later on. For now, just do exactly what I tell you. Will you do that? Yes, Bambi promised. Good. So I'll go there first, by myself. You stay here and wait. And don't take your eyes off me. Keep me in sight and don't look away, not for a second. If you see me start to run back here, then turn around and run away as fast as you can. I'll soon catch up with you. She became silent and seemed to be thinking then, with much emphasis, she went on. Whatever happens, run, run as fast as you can. Run, even if something happens, even if you see, even if you see me fall to the ground. Don't pay any attention to me, understand? Whatever you see or hear, just keep going, without delay, as fast as you can. Do you promise me that? Yes. Bambi said quietly. But if I call you, his mother continued, you can come. You can come and play on the meadow. It's nice out there. You'll like it. Only this is something else you have to promise me. If I call you, you must be at my side straight away. Whatever the circumstances, do you hear? Yes, said Bambi, even quieter. His mother was being so serious. She continued speaking. Out there, if I call you, there's to be no running about, no questions. You're to run behind me like the wind. Don't forget. No thinking about it, no hesitating. If I start to run, it means you get up immediately and get out of there. And you don't stop until we're back here in the woods. You won't forget this, will you? No, said Bambi, feeling rather anxious. All right, now I'll go his mother told him, and seemed somewhat calmer. She stepped out into the meadow. Bambi, who did not take his eyes off her, saw how she went forward with slow, high steps. He stood there full of anticipation, full of fear, curiosity. He saw how his mother listened on every side. He saw her when something startled her or felt startled himself ready to jump back into the thicket. And then his mother became calm once more. After a minute had passed, she became cheerful. She lowered her neck, stretched it out far in front of her, looked contentedly back at Bambi and yelled, Come on, then! And we will continue with this part of Chapter 2 coming up on our next stream on Wednesday night. Bambi is about to go do some exploring. <laughs> Very cool. All right. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. This is a great book. It's the original Bambi, which was originally written in German, by the way, and turned into, of course, an amazing animated uh, children's film from Disney, uh, which, like I said earlier, I remember watching at the drive-in movie theater, the Skyview Drive-In in Torrington, Connecticut, about a billion years ago. 
All right, I look forward to the rest of this book. We'll continue it on Wednesday night. I will see you again then. Until then, enjoy the rest of your work week. Be sure you like and subscribe and follow. Check out our podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts and be sure and follow and subscribe over there. Really appreciate that. Thank you. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Snort. <laughs>